One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi there and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast and today I'm looking again at an astonishingly incisive historian David Edgerton whose book The Rise and Fall of the British Nation has really done a huge amount for 20th century British historiography it's an indispensable read if you are a student of modern Britain um, and, and today I've, uh, I'm returning to looking at uh, Margaret Thatcher. Um, the reason why is because um, so much of what is said about her is mythologised, misunderstood, uh, which is kind of easy and understandable with this divisive figure. Um, and uh, David Edgerton's... Um, introduction to exploring her from uh, 1979 to 1990 is looking at the kind of the intellectual climate of Thatcherism and that's what I want to talk about today not so much uh, uh, Margaret Thatcher uh, as the the, the, the figure um, I, I suppose with the, um, the kind of the recent series of The Crown um, on Netflix, she's become a kind of a, once again a, a trending and zeitgeistish kind of figure, um, one which I, I think is given a kind of fairly sympathetic treatment on the program. Um, but um, understanding the the kind of the, the philosophical context in which she uh, existed, it, I think, is really important. And I'm not just talking about the the old chestnuts that we've gone over on this podcast before about uh, kind of Hayek and Friedman and the the kind of the uh, the, the, the intellectual godfathers if you will of, of neoliberal thought but really the um, the, the, the wider kind of uh, intellectual and, and cultural climate of the late 1970s so let's uh, let's dive in David Edgerton writes politics changed in the 1970s but in ways that are not well described by the concept of an end to consensus. Much more was changing than the politics between parties. Intra-party politics were especially important. 
For some, the main division lay between the right and the left of the Labour Party, for others, between the new right of the Conservative Party and the rest of parliamentary politics. Two key political drivers of new ideas in the 1970s, Tony Benn and Margaret Thatcher, represented positions which were critical of the positions of their own parties. For both, 1975, their 50th year, was particularly important. Tony Benn, without question the leader of the left, led an anti-EEC campaign that year, losing decisively, and as a result was demoted from the industry to the energy portfolio in the Labour government. Margaret Thatcher stood against and defeated Edward Heath as leader of the Conservative Party and took that party sharply to the right. She campaigned for a yes vote in the referendum. Now, uh, all kind of oddly uh, topical and pro prophetic, the, the first thing to, to kind of pick apart there is this idea of the end to the consensus. Now, what does that mean? Okay, so there's a, been a, a popular uh, belief, somewhat overstated, uh, amongst um, historians and political scientists that the post-war governments um, from 1945 onwards, which were mainly conservative, uh, some Labour, mainly conservative, uh, represented... A, uh, a kind of a, a loose political consensus that, that had shifted towards the, the left, the idea that there was going to be a welfare state, nationalisation, uh, trade unions and collective bargaining, uh, or, uh, you know, that trade unions would have a, a significant role uh, within uh, the workings of the state. Uh, but also there was aspects of a, a, a right consensus, um, the, the Labour Party, both the Labour Party and the Conservative Party, uh, agreed on um, the retention of uh, the, the monarchy, wide aspects of the class system, uh, and nuclear weaponry, uh, militarism. Um, the uh, point that David Edgerton makes in this book is that far from being a welfare state after 1945, um, Labour and Conservative governments created a warfare state. They created a, a, a state of high levels of military spending, of constant military engagement in uh, colonial and post-colonial conflicts, of, up until the mid-1960s, national service, uh, and of a, a, a hugely, hugely expensive commitment to the atomic bomb and later to uh, Trident uh, nuclear deterrent. So um, the, the idea that a consensus splintered in the 1970s is to some extent correct, Margaret Thatcher does, does take the Conservative Party sharply to the right. However, Edward Heath before her had been um, uh, proposing some of the, 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 the basic tenets of um, the, the, the new right thinking of the uh, Conservative Party. His was a more managerial approach, the idea that um, um, as with um, Harold Wilson in roughly the same time period, though that the two men um, radically disliked one another, that uh, better scientific management of the state uh, and of British capitalism would bring about superior results. Margaret Thatcher um, believed in, in a different approach to um, economic transformation, and that was the power of markets. Her full conversion to um, the uh, 
uh, to, in, in sort of uh, introducing uh, British state and society to market forces, which, which arguably never really fully succeeds in, uh, happens in stages throughout her prime ministership. In 1979, there is little discussion of uh, privatisation, of taking state utilities out of um, state hands and uh, floating them on the stock market. There's not much talk of that at all. Um, There is more uh, a a tone of kind of uh, national revivalism, of uh, dealing with endemic problems of law and order, uh, the bloodshed in Northern Ireland, of putting Britain back on the map, giving Britain its national pride back and self-confidence. And that's one of the things that is, is highly, highly attractive. In terms of talking about the uh, EEC uh, referendum, uh, after Edward Heath uh, took Britain into the EEC, the forerunner to the EU, in, in 1973, there was a referendum on the subject in 1975, the uh, there had there was uh, not the degree of Euroscepticism that dominates um, the right of British politics now, but actually um, Euroscepticism came more was more clearly articulated on the left. So the likes of Tony Benn um, on the left of the Labour Party uh, believed that the uh, EEC would be. Uh, a, an unaccountable club of capitalists, uh, highly exploitative, and uh, it would be impossible to uh, remove uh, Britain from it, and also impossible to uh, have accountability over who ran the EEC. The rights and wrongs of that uh, position are kind of a, a subject of a different podcast, really. But the um, the conclusive defeat. There was a, a referendum under the. Um, the, 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 the second Wilson government, or the third Wilson government, if you will, um, that followed Heath um, in, in 1975. And the, I, it's curious that um, Margaret Thatcher, who is held up by Britain's current Eurosceptics as being the, the kind of like the handmaiden of Brexit, was one of the, the ardent uh, remain, uh, remainers of the day. Um, later on, of course, it was Margaret Thatcher that pioneered the uh, single pioneered the single market. Um, there was a broad cross uh, party consensus uh, and, and uh, for Remain and for uh, Leave at the time. Not that they were called those things. Um, uh, they were uh, the, the Labour right and the, the, the Conservative right. Uh, and uh, Enoch Powell and the Labour left had less to do with one another, but the centre ground of both parties uh, collaborated and cooperated highly in order to to win the referendum. Um, The issues of um, uh, the the Conservative Party at the time um, were based in, in in partly to do with a kind of Thatcher and... Keith Joseph, who was her uh, ideological mentor, in their decision, their, their, their dogged determination to stick to manifesto pledges, the manifesto pledges that Heath had set out in 1970 um, had been about um, dealing with the problems of trade union power 
and wage restraint. Heath had caved on almost every single promise, and Thatcher believed that it was a betrayal of the voters and a betrayal of the party for Heath to have done so, and that um, the uh, purpose of a leader was to stick determinedly to what was promised, um, she, which, you know, to her own political detriment, she did time and time again. So let us move on. Both um, Ben and Thatcher came into their moments of greatest power in the late 1970s and early 1980s. Margaret Thatcher as Prime Minister, Tony Benn as leader of a Labour left, which was able to change the policies of the Labour Party very substantially. If there had ever been a post-war consensus, they would, bro- they would both certainly have broken it. Margaret Thatcher became Prime Minister in 1979. Under her determined leadership, the trade unions were brought to heel, and the British decline, her supporters claimed, finally began to be reversed. Industries nationalised in the 1940s and earlier were later now privatised and liberalised. So were industries born from within the state machine. There was an economic transition from manufacturing to services, which, it was claimed, British firms did very well, creating a uniquely competitive European economy, which became a model for many. Margaret Thatcher in office uh, for 11 consecutive years was forced out in 1990 to be replaced by John Major, who won the 1992 election, with the consequence that the Conservatives would be in power for a remarkable eight. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 18 years. The country was transformed economically and ideologically to a degree not seen since the 1940s. For people like Margaret Thatcher, the 1970s had been a decade of trauma. It had been a decade of relative national decline. It had been a decade of IRA violence and British violence and loyalist violence in Northern Ireland and uh, IRA violence on the streets of London. It had been a decade where um, not only the perception of a decline in law and order, but the actual reality had increased, but it had also been a decade 
of uh, labour disputes, of union unrest uh, and of inflation ending with the, the winter of discontent where strikes had paralysed the country um, and with a, a period of the uh, three-day week during um, the, the, the dying year of the dying years of the, the, the Heath administration. So Thatcher could identify uh, in her mind everything that had gone wrong in, uh, in Great Britain. She equated it with socialism, she equated it with collectivism, she said that socialism, socialism goes ill with this country and that um, a, a spirit of um, enterprise and individualism had been lost that freeing individuals from collective bonds so that they could forge their own destinies and be responsible was how Britain would be reformed, reborn and, and, and altered and changed. Margaret Thatcher had as, uh, as much withering contempt for the gentleman aristocrats of, or the gentleman capitalists of the City of London and for the um, kind of paternalist Tories of the centre and the left of the Conservative Party, the likes of Jim Pryor and Willie Whitelaw, uh, as she did for the, the, the trade union movement and saw all of these as institutional barriers to the, the kind of radical change she believed the country needed. The idea that uh, market forces were an expression of individual liberty, what people chose to buy and sell, what people chose to own, uh, and that these things were stymied. This is directly from the kind of the, the, the Friedrich von Hayek uh, playbook, just to kind of bring anyone uh, up to speed who's not familiar with the things we've talked about, about Hayek, uh, on this podcast before. Um, Hayek's most famous book, the 1945 book, The Road to Serfdom, uh, I apologize, I think that's 1947, I will check, um, was supposedly something that Thatcher kept in her handbag and read at Oxford University while she was studying chemistry, um, waving it to her cabinet saying, this is what we believe. And it essentially said that... Uh, um, that collectivism uh, and the growth of the state were inherently totalitarian and they would rob individuals of their liberty. And this was the, the source of kind of uh, any kind of totalitarianism from communism to fascism. Uh, and it was only through the operation of free markets, the ability of individuals to control their wealth and their personal destiny, that, would, uh, that, that, that liberty would be maintained. Um, you could argue that initially this is a fairly legitimate uh, political ideology, it's one perhaps with holes in it, but one that was um, based in a kind of a, a, a reasonable assessment uh, of, of world conditions and one which was kind of sincerely held. But it very quickly uh, became, throughout the, the 1980s, a, a, a kind of a manifesto for tax dodgers for um, tax loopholes and tax havens, uh, and for the kind of the permissive, the, the permission uh, to downgrade any kind of collectivism from uh, trade union membership to the NHS to um, uh, communally owned council housing or, or state owned council housing. 
um, uh, which obviously begins the kind of the grand un- unpicking and unraveling of the, the kind of the glues that hold societies to- together, um, thus resulting here in um, 2020 with uh, in Britain and in, with all the countries that sort of emulated this model with uh, enormous and epic levels of um, wealth inequality. David Edgerton writes, For both Margaret Thatcher and Tony Benn, their push for new policies was in part about recapturing a past. Margaret Thatcher's policies were in some respects about a return to the 1950s, a period she identified with. This is the happiest point of her, her life growing up. Uh, with her uh, father, who was an alderman, Alderman Roberts, in uh, Grantham. This was a period of high defence spending, a clear bipartisan commitment to national nuclear weapons, to close relations with the USA, to the capitalist economy, and to limited welfare spending. All this was threatened in the 1970s by the rise of the unions and the left of the Labour Party. Thus, in 1979... The Tory manifesto did not attack the post-war consensus, but what had happened in the recent past, pointing to the fact that Labour governments had dominated uh, by being in office for 11 out of the previous 15 years. Certainly, in some respects, the 1974 Labour programme broke with the previous one, but but the really big break came after 1979. By 1983, the left had pushed the Labour Party into a position which involved labour with which involved withdrawal from the EEC, rejection of nuclear weapons, and elimination of U.S. nuclear bases, and a strong dose of nationalist economic planning. By this standard, the Conservative Party certainly stood for the post-war consensus in substance, though not in style. And yet, one could also see the Labour programme of 1983 as a plea for a return to the past. Though it was never expressed in this way, Labour advocated the national protected economy with an interventionist state outside the EEC, which had been the post-war norm. In many respects, the left was looking to finally bring about the promise of those years, which they saw as unrealised because of the political power of British capitalism and the political and ideological weakness of previous Labour governments. The difficulty was that business was a business. The Conservative Party and the Labour right had long moved from this past to decisively support the EEC and to reject economic nationalism. So here we have a fascinating uh, sort of dichotomy, a fascinating division between um, the, uh, the the forces of the, the economic right, the um, Conservative Party, British capitalism, in, and this is in 19, by 1983, and the right of the Labour Party, who were um, not in the, in the ascendancy at that moment. These were um, the, you know, in quite literal sense, the, the, the neoliberals, people who believed in the uh, economic liberalism of the 19th century, reinvented and reimagined in the 20th century. People who believed in low tariffs, in free trade, in free trade areas like the EEC, later to become the EU, of course. Um, and it was Tony Benn and the Labour left that represented 
uh, a more defined version of economic nationalism. The idea that uh, Britain did not need to be part of a, um, a multinational trading bloc uh, and that it did not need to, set to um, surrender any kind of sovereignty to that entity. In fact, that it could actually place tariff walls around it in order to protect British industry. Um, the, a lot of these ideas wildly unworkable. Um, and create almost like a kind of an autarkic type of state. And in doing so, make sure, place the, the, the focus of economic activity on simply raising living standards for ordinary people at the expense of any gains by capital. If you were a British businessman in the 1970s, you would look at this with horror. You would think that um, Labour had lost its mind. You would imagine that any chances of you uh, either selling goods abroad or using cheap labour markets in Britain or anywhere else in order to make your goods were gone, and that in, instead you would face now um, great difficulties selling uh, abroad, your market would be domestic, you would be selling towards to British people, um, and you would be selling on terms dictated probably by a Labour government uh, and the, uh, the corporatism of the, the, the trade union movement. So this is very, very unattractive to, to British capital. Um, Tony Benn um, argued that this was ultimately the only democratic way to run an economy because it is an economy run in the interest of the demos, of the majority of the, the population, and it is the way in which you prevent capital accumulating um, and therefore wealth buying political power and wealth and a, and a kind of a, 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 sort of a cabal of, of, uh, of economic and political forces uh, dictating the, the the distribution of wealth in society. On the subject of the consensus, David Edgerton, Edgerton writes, Perhaps the best way to think about this is to cast out any thought of a general consensus being broken, and rather to see both major parties revising their positions radically, both looking to create semi-mythical pasts and to create a new future. Furthermore, the policies of the parties interacted with each other. Tories reacted to the extension of social democracy in the 1970s, just as Labour reacted to the market liberalism of the Conservatives after 1979. In both cases, they reacted in ways which drove their positions, always different, further apart. OK, so I think we'll, we'll return to that in the not-too-distant future. But understanding that kind of uh, aspect of... Um, uh, the, the kind of the economic ideological uh, underpinnings of Thatcherism and the 1980s, um, I believe, is, is hugely important. Um, so thanks very much for listening, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Do pop by our Explaining History Facebook group. There's always a lively discussion going on there about something or other, uh, and we will catch you soon. Thanks for all the best. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.